Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses earning over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pounds portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a lady called Helen Chorley. She's a really experienced property investor, also a really experienced angel investor, which is quite interesting, which we'll talk about in the session. Currently, she has 70 million, I think it's over 70 million in projects currently. That gives you an idea of the scale. She's appeared on multiple TV shows on Sky, The Property Elevator and The Property Graduate. She writes for multiple magazines. She's a founder of a property community called The Property Sisters. And she also splits her time between London and Malta. So um, again, I'm quite interested on how she invests remotely and how that actually works. So I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. I'm really excited to speak to her and learn a bit more. So welcome to the show, Helen. Thanks, Terry. Pleasure to be here. And speak to a fellow no northerner. Love that accent. <laughs> yes, love it. <laughs> all the t- I keep telling these southerners that all the talent lives up north. Yeah. I don't know if they believe it or not, but it's pretty, yeah, it's fair. It's, it's, a, it's a fair point, isn't it, Helen? <laughs> That's why I love the Prosperity Network, actually. There's so many northerners, northerners in it. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> the talent lives up north. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Um, so what we like to do on the show, Helen, is talk about your career so far. We probably haven't got long enough to go through your whole career because it's, from what I know, it's been fantastic. But we'll talk about the three key parts. So first part is the start, just how you got into property, how that all sort of came to came to happen. The middle part is the exciting part. So any key moments, um, any highlights, any big things that you're really proud of, of you, you've achieved. And then the last part is just the current. So that's what your attention is on right now, what you're looking at going forward. And from the parts, we'll try and extract any lessons that we can to hopefully inspire the listeners. So first of all, could you just tell us about the start, how it actually started for you, Helen, how you got into property? That would be that would be great. Sure. Well, I bought my own kind of residential property literally as soon as I could, as soon as I had a deposit, kind of in my very early 20s. It was a tiny little matchbox, literally not much bigger than a matchbox in Covent Garden in London. So that was quite fun. Um, I was in investment banking. That's what kind of I was doing pre-property. Um, mm-hmm. so that's why I, and that's why I bought there in Covent Garden because I could walk mm-hmm. to work in five minutes and oh, um, we used to start at kind of six o'clock in the morning on the trading floor so I wanted to be as close as possible as you can understand mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then I left banking in 2008 just pre-credit crunch so that was quite good timing Mm-hmm. and um, had a couple of years out, had some health issues to deal with and started doing kind of some of my own projects, refurbs and home staging and, and stuff. And 
then when I was thinking about kind of how I wanted my life to look and kind of basically make the move to Malta, um, mm. I wondered if I could do that. I, I did fall into the trap of believing that property investing could be passive. I, I swallowed that line. <laughs> it's not enough passive, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. How's that working out for you? Yeah, it's not. Um, so I went to some kind of property meetups and um, with, with the intention of just kind of doing angel investing and kind of handing the money over and sipping cocktails in Malta and, and taking the profits at the <laughs> end. And yeah, it's, it's not worked out like that at all. I don't know if that was, well... It was certainly ambitious uh, for me to imagine mm. that, that I could do that. Maybe I'm just not the type, but yeah, it's not quite, quite worked out like that. But um, yeah, it all happened after banking from kind of 2008 mm. onwards, really. Mm. So so just on that point then, so do you think the investment banking helped you in your property investing career? Did that give you any sort of key attributes or anything or characteristics or anything? Or was it just... Did it just get you some money that which then got you into property? Would you say there was any links or any any? I think like it has helped me because I certainly come at things for, with with a risk management kind of mm. framework. I'm very numbers driven. Any, anybody who's seen any of the shows, I'm always asking about costs and numbers, and you know that's the that's the thing people know they need to get right for me as the numbers. And I want to know, you know, do you know your return on GDP? Do you know your return on costs? Do you have what's your contingency in there? So I am quite kind of numbersy focused. Um, but also, like I say, it's, it's I talk a lot and I write a lot about risk. I've done several articles for um, Property Investor News this year on risk and risk appetite. And I think if you come with that framework or you can begin to understand it, you don't need to work forever in investment banking to, to know that it's something you can mm -hmm. learn. But if you start learning about that and understanding yourself, it can really help you go in the right direction for you in property mm -hmm. some people are you know super you know happy to take risk I'm just at that I guess age and stage of life with some money behind me where my risk appetite is much less than it used to be so that will help determine which projects I say yes or no to some might be great projects but if they're too risky for what I want to do then then, then I'm a no for those mm. are you the um, Deborah Meaden of, of property. <laughs> she's like the numbers one on Dragon's Den, isn't she? And she grills them on. If they don't know the numbers, they're gone on. Are, are you similar to that? Someone else has said that to me. Like, she's like, oh, oh really? you're like Deborah Meaden. I'm like, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not. No, you, yeah. you, you, you're better looking than Deborah Meaden. Let's just put that out there, just in case you're offended. I'm not saying but the, that. Uh, but the numbers, yeah, definitely. It's, it's really important that, that mm. people understand what they're working with. Yeah. And even if you, you know, as the kind of the, the person that comes into 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 mm. see us even if you're not the numbersy because not everybody's numbersy like you can't be all things mm. to all people but you need somebody on your team who is that numbers person who does understand it who does know you know if your costs on material prices you know is a great example this past year isn't it if mm. they rise what what's that looking at you know for your profitability where are the risks in, you know, your projects and your numbers, your exposure? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a good point for the listeners. You know, the, the risk thing, I think, me personally anyway, and I imagine a lot of people are, are, are similar. At the start, you're more inclined to take bigger yes. risks because you're very, very keen, aren't you? Is that fair to say? If you went through that sort of taking more risks to then gradually taking less and less risk as you progress in your career, is, is that kind of fair? 
actually so in property i've worked the other way i've gone in i started kind of much more um well it's it's kind of changeable so i i kind of think of myself as my own kind of asset manager so i have different buckets of risk so because i have a pot to kind of you know to to farm out to invest i'll have some in kind of lower risk stuff so first charge you know, it's obviously if something goes wrong, you're the first person to get repaid. But obviously that generally gives you the lowest return. So I'll have some in a first charge. I'll have some on a second charge basis, generally with people that I've already done a first charge deal with. So I know that they're credible, that they do what they will say and that they've returned the money to me in the past. Mm. So I've got some of that. And then I'll do some equity. So I'll be the, the kind of the JV putting the capital in. And obviously mm. that's the most risky because if something goes wrong, that's the mm. first money that gets wiped out, i.e. it's the last to be repaid. Mm. Um, and then actually I've done my first planning deal last year, which is super risky. Nice. Um, <laughs> having some challenges with that one. So yeah, not, you know, not all straightforward in property as we know. But I've done it that way because I kind of really like to learn and understand what I'm doing. One of my um, principles of investing is earn your right to risk. And, you know, I do think that comes with kind of age or experience. Like you say, everybody's so enthusiastic at the beginning, aren't they? Um, But I really like to understand what I'm doing. And it's taken me, you know, like I say, since probably past five or six years for sure to really understand you know, the, the nuances of different types of investing, of different ways of investing, of the risk and kind of the legalities and how you could kind of manage and offset, mitigate your risk. So um, so the more confident, the more I learn, the more people that I deal with, the more, you know, kind of exposure to different aspects of property that I go, the more I am taking risk. But like I say, I have this portfolio, so I balance it all. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And, and the two key things I picked up on there is the, the diversity. So diversifying in, in different types of risk, but also different types of properties as well. I think that's a good point. And, you know, putting all the eggs in one basket, whether that's a location or it's a strategy or uh, it's a type of risk, I think is, is, is a little bit dangerous for, for anybody, you know, to, to spread your risk, I think is a wise, intelligent thing to do. Um I mean, yeah, it, it, it can be, it is for me kind of with a pot to, to to kind of put out. But what I see sometimes is with kind of new people into property, they'll try, I don't know, rent to rent, and then they'll try HMOs and they'll try service accommodation. And I think mm. that's where diversification can sting you a bit. Maybe like get to oh. learn or be good at one strategy that suits you and Before then you kind of, yeah, yeah, build out from there. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Um, I, I did that with Battlelets. I did that for Bar- just sold Battlelets for quite yeah. a while and then HMOs and then, but you're right, some people, because there's that many strategies, it kind of can go against you. They're looking at everything at once. Yeah. They get analysis yeah. paralysis. They don't take much action or they do a couple of different things half-heartedly, which doesn't yeah. get them anywhere. Yeah. Um, again, I, th- I think that, that that's great advice. Um it can be very confusing. There's there's so many messages mm. and there's so many different ways to do property, isn't there? And you mm. have to find out the one that's right for you 
And so many people start down one path and they realize, actually, this is not what they wanted at all. And that's why I kind of talk a lot about like wealth dynamics or, or risk appetite. Um, I think the article was in February's a property investor news last year if you want the risk appetite one if you understand those things first you're more likely to get the right strategy the right right way of doing things for you mm. rather than get halfway down this path and think oh my god this is so much hard work for so little return and this is not what i want at all so yeah, yeah def de definitely yeah i also like what you said there about understanding things i think you know me personally anyway i wouldn't do bitcoin or any of these things because i don't i just don't understand it i have no real like appetite to try even want to understand it either and i'm not getting into the debate about bitcoin because i don't know enough about it but me personally i just don't invest in things that i don't understand and, and i think that's kind of part of what you're saying there is you should understand every investment that you're doing don't just do it because it looks good on the face of it or you know don't just take someone's word for it you know make sure you, you understand it and ask questions yeah um educate yourself and I, I th again i think that's a great valuable point that you you said there yeah and don't yeah. do it just because everybody else is doing it and, and Bitcoin yeah. crypto is is a great example of that I, I do invest in that but then that's kind of you know the trading floor stuff is my background so well, you know, yeah. i'm already yeah. kind of a step ahead on that but i have mm. to tell you how i got into that my very first purchase was 60 my very first investment uh, was 60 pounds Mm. And I've got a lot more money than that to play with. So £60 <laughs> yeah. was, you know, you know, that's that's kind of a, like a night out, isn't it? I'm like, mm. but I'm going to put that in. And I sat and watched this this one coin. It wasn't Bitcoin. It was Litecoin, actually, a few years ago. And I sat and I watched the price movement. So I was kind of invested enough to 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 watch it and learn and understand how the price, you know, happens. And when it goes up 20% in a day, can you manage your emotions enough to not to go, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to go out and buy myself a Range Rover. Uh, you know, <laughs> and when it tanks, you know, yeah. the next day, not to go, oh my God, no, this is the end of the world. With a mm. 60 pound stake, you're in, you know, you, you have a vested interest, but you're not, you're, you're minimizing that emotional volatility. And again, that's some of the mistakes that I see in property when people get overly emotionally invested. Mm -hmm. So that very much forms my investment decisions as well. What, how much can I invest with whom, um, in what projects whereby I'll, I'll remain as emotionally neutral as possible. And it's money, there's always emotion involved, right? Yeah. But, but I can remain as emotionally kind of balanced as possible. Yeah. You know, it's the typical Warren Buffett quote, isn't it? It's, you know, if you can't manage your emotions, don't be able to expect, don't expect to be able to manage money. Mm. Love that. Great phrase, that. Love that one. Um, no, thank you for that. I think there's, there's plenty of gems there already. Uh, we've only just got, got started on that star part. So um, thank you for that. So if we move on to the, the middle part, so it went from, First purchasing Canary Wolf, I think you mentioned there, or Covent Garden, sorry. Covent Garden, um, yeah. Covent yeah. Garden. So first purchase in, in London, yeah. um, just because it was close to where you were working. How has it went from that to over 70 million? So, so uh, a brief overview of that middle part, any key moments, lessons that you'd like to share, Helen? That'd be great. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I did the, for my own stuff, my own kind of residential stuff, I just did the usual kind of working my way up the, the property ladder a move from I've lived all over London and I, my average is about two years I've lived mm. all over 
Um, yeah. I moved from Covent Garden. Where did I move then? I moved to, actually, I moved to Soho. Then I moved back to Covent Garden. Then I was in Wapping. Then I was in Chateau. I mean, I've just, I've been all over the place. Um, and now I'm in, now I've got a place in Vauxhall. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in investing terms, I actually started out, and it's a great way to dip your toe in the water and to learn, actually, no matter what your kind of strategy or, or how much you've got. I started out with crowdfunding. So you can get involved in a lot of crowdfunding from, well, in those days, you could do it from a pound. Um, I think the, the first couple I did were like, you know, a few thousand pounds, two thousand pounds, five thousand pounds. And I did that to learn about kind of development because it's not something, yes, I knew kind of the ins and outs about my own property and had spreadsheets on the price action of those, but I didn't understand um, kind of all the risks and and the good, the bad, the ugly of development. So that's why I started with crowdfunding. And I used that kind of as like a test drive for developers. I'm like, right, well, let's see, let's watch Let's see, you know, how good they are at kind of communication. Do they keep us updated? Do they say they do they do what they say they will do? Do mm. they deliver? And, and, and if and when things go wrong, and it generally is a when, as we, as we know, um, how do they handle that? Uh, you know, I'm not going to stick a chunk of money with somebody unless I've seen them see how they manage a smaller chunk of money. Again, that's probably going back to my risk appetite of, you know, quite low risk appetite. Let's tr- let's not stick eggs again, all the eggs in one basket. And if things don't work out or you realize that you can't work with this person, you know, you're stuffed and, and you've got, you know, a, an awful extraction process to get out of that. It's like, let's test drive these people. And, and, and then me equally, I, I'm very much, you know, developers should be really, you know, being very selective about whose money they take as well as investors being very selective about who they deal with and who they invest with. It's a two-way thing. I'm going to be writing more about that again this year. Um, mm. And I try. I did it different ways. So I did some equity investments. I did some debt. And then I looked at how those were performing. And what I realized, I tra- changed kind of strategies. And I'm in the middle of doing that again. What I realized with the debt uh, strategies so that's loads it's first and second charge loans what I realized with my equity investments is I was taking much more risk because of, as we've touched on that's the riskiest way to invest that's the money that you lose first um, but the returns because of the time the length of time all these developments were taking the mm. returns I was getting on a percentage basis by the end of these projects was the same as kind of a first or second, probably like second charge, um, a second charge investment. So I'm taking equity risk, but I'm getting second charge returns. Like we've got a mismatch here. So why am I, why am I doing that? So actually that's why I switched much more into debt investing. I'm like, at least my debt investments, you know, I'm kind of guaranteed and I use guaranteed loosely, you know, nothing's guaranteed but they're paying monthly. If the project extends over the the expected time, which quite frankly, all of them do. I've had one project in 20 or 25 deals, one that's come in early once ever, that was it. Um, So the returns that that I'm getting, you know, I'm still getting paid for every day that money is out there. And Mm. also I've got better security. 
Um, so I, I did have a you know a change again once I started learning how things work that that was more appropriate for me and the risk that I wanted to take. Mm. So sorry, just to clarify then, so you didn't go purchasing yourself as in your own name or in a limited company or anything. It's always do you, do you even do that now or is it all just purely investing? Like I in purely market? invest with developers. Yeah. Ah, right. so we'll, I didn't even know that. Sorry, I yeah, didn't even know that. That's a really interesting slant. Yeah, right, okay. so I am, you know, kind of purely angel type. Mm. Um, you know, I'll do JV, so I will be part of the company. This this mm. land deal, for example, that we're doing, so it's our company, me, and it's an all-woman team, actually, yay. Um, <laughs> the, the developer, the architect, and, and me as the sole investor. Uh, mm. So that's our, our company. Um, but I don't, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm too old, too lazy, too far away. I, I don't want to get my hands kind of dirty with development. That's not my skill set. If I wrote something, the post I've done today is about, um, you know, I'd be the worst person on earth to manage, you know, a, constru a constructor or, or somebody on site. I really <laughs> yeah. would. Patience is not my forte at all. And <laughs> You know, the, the, the hard to manage anyway then build us especially exactly. from a distance yeah exactly so so that way of doing things suits me mm -hmm. um but i'm not passive in terms of kind of handing the money over to a developer and kind of walking mm -hmm. away and saying yeah let me know when it's done i like to be kept updated regularly it's why i talk a lot about investor relations and communication with your investors because i've seen i've seen it all i've seen developers disappear literally go quiet you know completely ghosted and you don't know not do you don't know what's happening to your money and that's terrifying mm. that's huge alarm yeah, bells imagine. when that happens got a couple of those on on the go at the moment so if you're out there give me a call guys oh, um, God. <laughs> yeah um, and i've seen people do it really well you know a good friend of mine claire norwood we wrote an article together actually from the two perspectives, the developer perspective and the investor, angel investor perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that was May last year. Uh, answering the same questions because we've learned so much from each other. You know, I have expectations of develop developers, which when you speak, you know, spoken to her, she's like, hell, that's just not the way it happens. That's just too hard for us. That's just too hard to, to deliver. And vice versa, she's like, you know, why are our investors doing this? Why are our investors asking this? I'm like, this is the reason why. So we were trying to give kind of the two different perspectives and, and build understanding between the two sides of that coin, if you will. So, mm. yeah. That's interesting. Where was the article? Uh, Property Investor News. Property Investor News. Okay. And it's called I Two Sides of the Coin. Yeah. Two sides of the coin. I think if we can stay on this topic, I think I think the listeners will definitely be interested in this. Um, maybe for people who are starting out, if we, again just focusing on the, the angel investing topic, yeah. um, if somebody wants to find angel investors like yourself, um, any advice that you could give people on on how to find them, and then we can talk about how to keep and, and maintain the relationship, which I think yeah. is a key point. But what would you advice would you give? It's not like you all just hang around in, 
you know, these special bars where they can just walk in or just private <laughs> on Instagram. It doesn't kind of work like that. But any advice on, on oh, that? We do have a TV programme. <laughs> a, yeah. a private pro- property elevator and there's five of us sat there waiting, waiting to... Get the plug in, Helen, that's it. Get the plug in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, so what um, would you say? What advice would you give to... You know, these are people who have, have got experience. Yeah, my, my number one, like, top tip above anything, above any experience above above anything be real Mm. no property is is full of people talking about they've done this and they've done that and 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 generally or or, or, i don't know maybe i just have a a good nose for this i can smell bullshit a mile off (laughs) i've seen there's plenty of that online isn't there yeah i have seen so much of it over the years that Mm. that you know yeah somebody starts with something and, and I can unpick that in a couple of questions and then you've lost me and you've mm. not just lost me for that deal you have lost me full stop mm. so if you don't know the answer to questions it's okay to say I don't know and then you go and find out it's okay if you haven't done any development or, or projects before if you're honest about that and if you have, like, I have invested, people assume I don't invest with first-time developers. I have done, but I ask questions around, okay, well, who is in your network? Who's your mentor? Who can you go to when things go wrong? Because they will. Because you do need to know that, that somebody is there. Somebody's kind of safeguarding that money. Um, so to be very real um, about your strengths, about your weaknesses. I think the more you know yourself, what you're trying to achieve, why you're doing it, um, you know, where you think you might struggle, what you will excel at. If you can talk to all those things, it shows you that that that's well thought out. You're not mm. doing this, it, 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 you know, because it's the latest fashion. Oh, I'm going to do SA because everyone else is doing it. Crap reason. You know, <laughs> that's true. Why are you doing it? Oh, well, because everybody else I read about in the paper, my taxi driver told me, crap reason. I want to know what you bring to the table, why you're doing it. I want you to be aware of where you will struggle because that goes back to my risk questions. Mm -hmm. There are risks inherent in this. And I want to understand if you understand them. It's something I ask all my developers. I I have this kind of rates and rent due diligence framework. Uh, People ask me about it a lot and it's mostly in my head. But one of my questions is, what's the worst case scenario and what are the risks in this? Because I probably know what many of the risks are, maybe not all of them, but I want to see if what I'm thinking and what I anticipate is the same as what the the developer or the investor thinks they are. Um, Mm. And have they thought about all that in in a holistic sense? So Mm. I talked it. I I think there's plenty of gems there. And the first thing you said, being real, I think, I agree. You, you, there's so many people who who just aren't online, and and I think females use have a sixth sense, right? Certainly, that a lot of the females that I know, a lot of my yeah. team in the businesses are female because they have. Sometimes, if it's someone's a new member, a team member starts, I'll say to certain females on the team, "What do you think?" Because that you pick stuff up better yeah. than looks, and that's not a sexist comment. I don't want it to be taken no, the wrong way. Yeah. You, you know, you, you know, a lot of women do, don't they? You have this. This this sixth sense, and you're very good yeah. at reading people and picking things up. But just being real in general, I think it's not that difficult to find out if someone's full of shit. Excuse my language, but 
company's house, you can tell you can t- you can do some digging, can't you? And, yeah. Um, and I just hope that these people are found out because there's people misleading people online. There's people I really worry for angel investors who aren't as experienced as you. And, and there's yeah. a lot of just people who've got money, people who've just done this with someone who they've just met on social media or just don't even know or met them down the pub or whatever. I worry because some people are just getting angel money and are they doing the right thing with it? Are they looking yeah. at the risk? Is there a chance that they could lose a big chunk of that, if not all of it? Yeah, sometimes there is. And, and, I, and I do really worry for some people, but I, I just I just hope that we can... I was speaking to Danny Inman about this, and I know you, you know Danny really well. Yeah. Just trying to clean up the industry. It's a yes. big task, but hopefully, you know, if enough people try, then we could, yeah. we could get rid of I these mean, people. A lot of what I do and speak and write about also is about kind of, you know, sharks and and people losing money. And not everybody who has lost investors' money is a shark. Let, let's be very clear about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, but social media, you know, it's great. Again, you know, you know, Danny is, is great at it and talks a lot about it, but it can be double-edged. It can be used as a, as a smoke screen. And, and there's some great examples who I shan't name, but um, that, that talk a really good story and actually are doing so, so, so wrong by investors behind the scenes. And they, you know, all you'd see them and you'd think, you know, God, they walk on water and, and they're, you know, holier than thou. And let me tell you that what goes on behind the scenes is, is nothing like that at all. And it's it's really, really sad. And, and it's really sad when people fall for this. You know, some of the stuff that, again, I've done, I did this with Claire, um, I think, it, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, I think it was 2020, but we made um, a video about kind of her experience with somebody that was that was less than ethic, ethical, should we say. And, you know, I, you know, th- there's lots of names. We all know, we all know many of them. Um, but that's why it's so important to be real and say, yeah, this definitely. is what I do. This is what I don't do. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. Um, and, and be very clear. And also... Um, I, I write a lot about it. something called the capital stack and we've touched on it without calling it that it's the first charge second charge equity it's that seniority of debt mm-hmm. and all it is it, it's the capital stack it just shows you how people get paid out if investors and particularly angel investors if they understood that then they would be able to safeguard their money much more and mm-hmm. Where I have seen people lose money, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm not like let's point fingers and blame people. And um, apart from the sharks, which I, I think I think they are fair, I think they are fair game. Yeah. Um, but also, I think there's a lot investors can do themselves to help themselves safeguard themselves. And it's certainly why I started kind of speaking up. I was, you know, I was quite quiet under the radar here in Malta and started speaking up a couple of years ago because there were so many examples of, of developers and unethical people doing wrong by investors. And I'm like, actually, we need to clean this up and we need to help people safeguard their own money. So that's when I started talking about due diligence and these are the questions you should be asking. These are the things you should be thinking about. This is how you can do your legals. This is how you can do, you know, the, the security aspect of stuff. And actually these things, there's a video on our Property Sisters YouTube channel of red flags. If these things happen, you should have alarm bells. Mm. So both but you know the, yeah, there's no. responsibility and accountability on both sides both sides definitely yeah i think that's a good point and that's the, the other side of it isn't talked about too much online um you know and i think that's a, that's a good message i've heard things like which which 
yeah, I just really I so strongly disagree with that. I've heard people say like, only give a personal guarantee if you have to, only lose lose contracts if you can get away with it. All these things, and I'm thinking like, and these people are saying this online. I'm thinking, well, with the angels that have, you know, I don't have loads of angels because I use a lot of my own money, but I do have some angels, and, and I say to them in part of the initial conversation, I will give you a personal guarantee. Get your contract looked at. I'll show you how much I've got in the bank and all these things without even being asked of that because I want to I want to work with these people. But it seems like people are looking at this angel thing like, let's get as much money as I can, as cheaply as I can, and try and get away with as much as I can. It's not, that's a very short-sighted and wrong way to look at it, right? It's, it's, it's horrible. And I hate the phrase which is commonly used of other people's money. In fact, Emmanuel Ezekiel of Broadwings um, asked me to do a clubhouse room. There's a few of us did it. I think that was in the su- over the summer, but certainly sometime last year mm-hmm. about other people's money. And I, I wrote a post about it. I hate that phrase because it doesn't give the respect to, to, to that cash that that cash deserves. It's not other people's money like it's like sweeties. That is somebody's hard earned blood, sweat and tears earned money. You know, mm. yes, I came into this from banking with some money behind me, you know, but I'm, I was working 60 still hours a week. Yeah, you still work for it, yeah. That, that came from somewhere. That wasn't, you know, oh, I went to, went to the you know, bank one day and drew out some money and, well, hey, you know, just, you know, magic this stuff from thin air. That money deserves to be respected. I, I, I talk about it like, you know, it's like somebody's baby. It's like handing over. And it still happens to me now when I'm pressing, you know, the online thing or making the phone call to transfer money to developers. I literally, my heart, for that millisecond, my heart is in my mouth like, oh my God, like what is going to happen if this money doesn't come back? And I have that every time. It is to me, and I don't know, yeah. so I don't know, but it's like handing over a baby. This is something <laughs> super, super precious that really matters an awful lot to me because it's it makes a difference to my life. Um, and that's how it needs to be treated. You know, I, I can't remember if it's on... Um, the chat with Danny, um, with Danny that I did for Prosperity. I think Natalie Gap, the Gasco mentioned it in her presentation that me and Claire always say, you treat your investors' money like it's Russian mafia money. It should be treated with that much <laughs> I respect. That that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, like yeah that's, that, that, actually, that, that's a really good analogy because if it was Russian mafia money, you wouldn't be messing about with it, would you? So why yeah. should you mess about with anybody else's? It should be treated as no. important shouldn't it yeah and that's how I expect my money to be treated again I wrote something recently because so kind of over lockdown especially I've had lots of people come in asking for advice about how to deal with kind of not non-repayment of money and um so I wrote a post on this and she did a video on it as well big that said um go legal and go early I don't mess around now if you don't pay my money back when it's expected or you ghost me, I'm going legal, I'm going early. Don't mess with me. Because I've seen it. I've seen the people and Claire is, a, you know, sadly an, an example of that. They tr- play nicely. They think people are as ethical and as, as trustworthy as they are. And they try and work with people and they try and be patient. And when the money doesn't come the month they're expected, they're like, oh, well, just another month, just another month, just another month. A year later, they're still having those same excuses. And I'm like, I'm done with that. I- I've seen it too many times. Go legal, go early. You've got every right to. I love that. 
go go illegal, go early. That could be on a banner or something. Should get <laughs> yeah. that above property sisters on the banner there. <laughs> I love that. That could be a slogan. Um, again, I think that's fantastic advice. And there'll definitely be people listening that, that are wanting to work with angels or currently do. So hopefully that's just struck a chord, hopefully a bit of a light bulb moment and, and, yes. and you've took something from that. Um, so again, just staying on that topic, um, what do you look for in, I mean, is it more about the deal? Is it more about the person? Is it both? And um, what what are like your non-negotiables for somebody? I know we've talked about a couple of them, but do you have any sort of key, key points on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, a deal for me, a deal is a deal is a deal. T- to be honest, at this stage where I am now, I get offered like really good deals uh, with great returns kind of every day of the week. So the, the differentiating factor for me is the person. Mm. Um, and, and that could be on a number of different levels. Yes, I have to have kind of faith. They have to come with credibility. So I have to know that they know what they're doing. But it, but it really is about trust. And, and I have to say... You know, going back to that sixth sense thing, that there's people that they could offer. I, I've said this about um, property elevator. Actually, there's people come and they could offer to double my money in ten minutes. I still wouldn't invest with them <laughs> because there's just yeah. something. I don't know. I get that feeling, feeling yeah. and I'm like, feeling, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's not that they're just not for me. And that's not a reflection on kind of them necessarily. It's just that we don't align. Yeah, got to be compatible, no. got to be a good fit, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or, or we don't share the same values or ethics. There's something that doesn't align. And it, you know, again, one of my principles is make making money fun. Um, you know, we, we didn't go into it, but when I left banking, I had a couple of years of, of health challenges. And now I'm just like, I never intend to repeat that. And, you know, I'm, I guess I'm still almost making up for lost time and I want to enjoy what I do. And, you know, I'm very privileged. I, I totally understand that, that I get to choose who I work with. So why wouldn't I want to have fun doing that? You know, we do kind of um, a Facebook and LinkedIn live every Sunday um, with, with some of the guys that I'm very good friends with in property. And I do that because it's just such good fun. We give a lot of value, you know, like you do with these podcasts. We're dropping gems the whole time. But I just, you know, it, it, honestly, it's one of the highlights of my week. I just love <laughs> chatting with them. I love their mental stimulation. They make me think about things in ways I haven't thought about before. And I learn so much from them. Mm. Um, and I do think in property, things are evolving all the time. Look at all the PD changes we had last year. You know, the mortgage and the lending market is perpetually changing. I do think you have to have a commitment to stay in kind of up to date and and learning as well. So there's a few things in there. I want somebody that's credible, trustworthy, who's committed to kind of learning, being the kind of the best version of themselves in a personal way, as well as, um, you know, kind of doing the development right. But ultimately, it comes down to will this person do right by me? And that's that's very difficult to tell just from conversations before you've done a deal with somebody. Um, but it's also why, you know, going back to what I said earlier, that if you kind of test drive somebody with a smaller amount of money, then, or, or a shorter deal, or, or, you know, there's various ways you can do it, then you get an inkling into how this person works. You know, you just don't know how somebody truly is till you're in a deal till you're actually in the deal with them 
and then when the proverbial hits the fan. You don't know how somebody is till their back is against the wall and things are going wrong. How are they going to handle it? Will they still keep communicating with, with you? Will they disappear? Will they put their profit, their stake, their money ahead of yours? You know, people can talk a lot and the proof is, is, is in the pudding every time. Yeah, I suppose there's, there's no other way to find out, like you say, apart from that, unfortunately, that there's... I mean, you can ask around. It's great to, you know, in terms of like the due diligence and the The way I do, I do very holistic due diligence. So, yes, I've got my tick list of questions, that kind of rates and rent approach. But also I talk to everybody. I'm always that's why I like I go to networking stuff. It's why I'm a member of so many different communities, because I want to know who knows who, who's worked with who. Uh, you know, it's um, I want to know people's opinion. I want to know kind of what's going on when they did well here, when they didn't do well. And I'm always putting together those those, those aspects of, you know, personality and understanding people's the, the developments that people have done. Mm. Love that. Again, I, I think people will be, be able to take something from that for sure. Maybe if they're looking to or consider an investment, angel investment with somebody else. But also from the other side of the coin, it's like your article, two sides of the coin. Um, yeah. I think that's great. And I thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Um, I, I've got quite a few questions to be fair. I'm just conscious on time. Sure. Um, so um, if, we, if we stay on angel investing, Nikki, I'm sorry to just focus on this one topic. Um, okay. I did have other yeah. stuff about how you split your time from Walter and sh- TV shows and all sorts. Um, but if someone brought you a deal, what would you say is there is there any key numbers that you have to have or that like I know you mentioned you, you're quite number orientated and you, yeah. if they don't know the numbers that they, they don't it, it ruins credibility what yeah. numbers because there's a lot of there's ROIs there's return on capital employed there's loads of different terminologies right and some people yeah. might be getting a little bit confused by that if someone's bringing you a deal what are the key numbers that you as an investor would need to see before even giving it a second thought the, the very first one, you know, obviously, you know, your purchase price and, you know, you should know what your expected GV, DV is and your GDV has to be provable. So there has to be credible um, comparables. I need to know where that GDV number has come from. That can't be and it can't be hope value. It can't be well. I think it's going to be this and then the market will probably go up 10%. So I think we're going to be here. We are not investing on hope value. Hope value is a bonus. But the critical one is costs. Do you know your costs? What are they based on? Have you allowed for, again, we've touched on it. Look what's happened to the price of timber over the past year. We're up 60% or something. Have you allowed contingency in there? What is your contingency based on? You know, everybody sticks in the standard 5%. I've never seen a contingency where 5% has been enough Mm. from my experience. Um. And where do you think that contingency might need to be used? But once you've got those, then you should be able to give me what I'm looking for, which is I want your return on GDV and your return on cost. Mm. Capital employed, return on investment, but different people look at that different ways. There's no point you telling me that. That's for me. I think that's for me as the investor to work out. Um, I like to see people calculate the stuff because I love calculating it separately. I want to make sure they've calculated it correctly. Um, but yeah, return on cost, return on GDV are are, are really important because that's what that does. That's not just an arbitrary figure like, oh, right. Or if it hits this number, then yeah, it's a great deal and we'll invest. No, no, no. 
what your return on GDV and your return on cost are showing me is how much room there is in the deal, how much room there is for things to go wrong before I lose money. And that's where I say like how I come at things from a risk perspective. I'm not coming from this as a, right, I need to make X zillion pounds, you know, here's my profit. I'm like, I'm going to invest this. We think it's going to be make this much. That would be great if that happens. What are the risks to that projection? And the return on GDV and the return on costs are what are going to show me that. Mm-hmm. They're going to show me how much costs have to overrun, and they probably will, and how much the market falls. You know, fortunately, we haven't had that for a couple of years, so that's super. Uh, they're going to show me. And then I like a, I do like a sensitivity analysis. So that's basically plotting those two things. How much do your costs have to overrun? How much does the um, price you're expecting GDV fall before you're at a break even or a loss making scenario? And once I've got that, we're back to the W in, in rent. Worst case scenario, like this is what we think. Uh, and then I can make the decision about whether to invest or not. And the worst case scenario can be that you'll lose money. That hasn't, I've I've had some of those, you know, that doesn't stop me investing in it, but I need to know what the worst case scenario is because we need to be able to plan for that. So one deal that I did quite early on, um, if we didn't get the GDV that we thought, we'd have to keep it, rent it, refinance, obviously, but I would have to put money in. Well, I need to know that at the beginning, because if you come to me at the end and say, hells, we're at the worst case scenario. Have you got that that extra 20 grand, whatever it was that that we need to put in? Like, no, sorry, I'm all invested in everything else. You you need to tell me that so I I can plan, I can manage my own assets and cash flow to be able to allow for that. So that's why if you look at those things up front, that's, that's where you're doing the risk mitigation. So those are the key metrics for me. Yeah, I love that. Again, I think people will definitely be able to take something from that because even newbies, people who don't have the money, they do come across good deals. And if you're presenting it to somebody else, it's important that you're obviously trustworthy in the things that we've talked about as a new as a person, but then you're presenting the right figures and maybe it's not being too optimistic. I think people yes. have a, a tendency <laughs> to do that. To them, but, um no, I think that's great. So if, if we move on to some other things, so we've talked about that angel stuff for, for, for quite a bit. Um, how on earth do you split your time from London and Malta? And I suppose it does make a little bit more sense now that I had it in my head that you were investing in, as in you were buying the properties yourself in, in London. How are you remotely doing it? But if you're, if you're doing your angel stuff, I, I get that. Yeah. So how do you manage to split your time? Do you have any tips or sort of advice on working in two different locations? Yeah, I mean, when I first moved here, it's just three years ago. I spent winters out here. That, that's how it started for me with the, the passive investing, is I wanted to spend winters out here. And actually, then I was spending so much time out here, I decided, actually, let's just, just move here full time. And when I first moved, I was literally, I did 36 flights the first year I was here, back and forth, back and forth, literally kind of every other week I was back and forth. Um, but also like at that point I was still learning so I still wanted to go on site visits I still wanted to be kind of go and look at what's happening with the projects I am in a different place in terms of my understanding of of Mm. developments and by god you know I'm not saying I know everything I absolutely don't I'm not a developer you know I'm I'm very clear and transparent but I'm not a developer I have no (laughs) desire to be a developer Um, so I, I cut back on that um then I was back about once a month 
And then obviously, you know, the whole world's changed in the past two years, right? So that's made things very challenging for me. And I wasn't back to the UK for, for a whole 10 months until last summer, but I did spend all summer. I was, I was back in London for three months over the summer, um, which was, I, I'd worked out, I'd really missed it. So I, I shan't be leaving it 10, uh, 10 months again. Um, yeah. uh, what drove me coming back last year was mainly kind of the programmes that we make. Um, so I had to come back in the summer because we were recording Elevator and Graduate. Um, that's determined in my plans for this year. I'm back in March because we're recording Series 4 of Property Elevator. So if you've got a deal, please go and apply. And uh, <laughs> love to see you on that. Um, but I have really good... The people that I, I tend to invest with now, I've known, I've watched, you know, I've kind of become friends with them. I've watched them over a period of time and we have really good communication. So I don't need to be there in person, kind of checking up on them, turning up on site, seeing what's going on. I'm literally, you know, I'm on WhatsApp and I'm like, anything to report? No, nothing to report. And um, the two ladies that I mentioned that we're doing the planning deal with, we actually paused that at the beginning of, of lockdown one. So we are going way back because we didn't know what was what was going to happen. So we paused that. But they would message me once a month just to say, hell, there's no change. We still don't know. But just to let you know that there is nothing else to tell you. And even just that checking in, that is a beautiful example of investor relations um, or for, for me. You know, I like to be kept up to date. Some people don't want to hear. Some people don't want regular updates. But again, find that out first, because if you keep bothering somebody who doesn't want to be updated, then that's going to annoy them um, mm. as much as ghosting annoys me. Um, but yeah, so so they keep me updated and, you know, I don't need to be there. So when I do go back to London, then I go around and you know see everything that's going on. But I don't need to be on the mm. ground because we have such kind of good relations and trust that, that, that I know what's going on. Yeah. yeah you're just proof and testament that it can be done remotely. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think what I'm getting from you is, if I, I might be completely wrong here, but it's very important just to be upfront and honest at the outset and, and map out all roles, responsibilities, what's expected, what's not. I think that's a good way to be in business in general, right? Because it's just, being clear and transparent, like it avoids any further. Like we've got a site that just we just put well, we're nearly complete on it. And we're we met the architect, the builder, everybody on site multiple times before we even complete. And the aim of that meeting was to try our best, although it's probably not gonna always happen like that, to mitigate as many issues as possible before we even complete and for clarity for everybody, because yes, uh, you know, I haven't done these huge builds that like you you have, but I'd imagine in most cases there's going to be, well, we didn't know about this, but well, what about this, this, and this? If we can, if you can try and, I don't think it's, I think it's pretty much impossible to stop that completely on every deal. It is. is. There will always be something, you know, people ask me about my due diligence stuff and like, can you send me a list of due diligence questions? And I'm like, uh, I add about 10 things to it. Every project that I do, I'm like, oh my yeah. God, I really wish we'd asked about this. You know, and that's with like 25 or I don't know, probably more deals like under my belt. There's always something you're like, oh, my God, I really wish I'd asked that. Um, but, yeah, it's never it's an ever evolving process. Yeah. Love that. Again, that, that's some great advice. Um, so sorry, just on, on the Malta, London thing, obviously, communication. Do you, do you use 
I suppose there's no need. I was going to ask like around technology and things, but it's quite straightforward, isn't it? Is it just Zooms and and phone calls? There's nothing. You know what? I, I have to say, lockdown, the pandemic did me a favour because I was I was trying to encourage more Zooms, such that I didn't have to be back to the UK the whole time. Um, and people were like, oh, you know, we'll wait till you get here. And, and I was having difficulty, or just like resistance, maybe like getting everybody on, on, on a Zoom rather than just sort of kind of a it's phone nice. call. And then the pandemic happens and everyone's on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, welcome to my world. Yes. Yeah. So, um, that. so yeah, that. That, that's, that's made life much easier for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and now right. everything that you can do is sharing screens and I can look at their spreadsheets because... You know, obviously, I'm very numbersy, and I want to look at that. But when when I can see what they're looking at as well, then there's yeah, there's no problem. Cool. Yeah, I think you know a lot of people come to me and and ask. They're from London, for example. They want to invest up north. Ask us to find them properties and things. And I just say I haven't got time. I'm really sorry. But the the a lot of people are worried about that distance on. They? they want to invest elsewhere. Yeah. How do I do it? But you know, you're in a different country. Never mind a three, four, five hour drive away. Um, it just shows that it can be done using technology and, and I suppose outlining everything up front. Yes. If, if you're going to do that with someone, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, about, you know, you you gave a great example of what you're doing. You all met. You make sure you're on the same page, and it's about managing expectations. You've made it clear what you expect, what you want. Hopefully, they've done the same. So when those unexpected things pop up, and they will, there's always something. Then, then at least you're understanding kind of where you're all coming from, and kind of like whose responsibility does does that fall into to manage. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Love that. Uh, thanks, Anna. I've really enjoyed this. I've, I've learned a bit. And, um, it's good to just speak to somebody who's done the angel stuff because there's not many people who who do what you do who are, who are openly talking about it, you know? Yeah. So I think it's been a really interesting episode. So that, thank you for sharing. Um, one last thing I ask everybody um, is being rich. The show is called The Rags to Riches Show. Um, but being rich can mean you know, it can mean so many different things, okay. can't it? Rich in time and monetary and assets, whatever. Um, but what does being rich mean to, to you, Helen? I guess because of my personal experience, to me, you know, and it's kind of pertinent to what we're going through at the moment, health is a big factor. Yes, you know, having money that gives you options. It's not about the money per se. It's what the money can do for you. Yes, that that's really important. Relationships are a massive massively important to me I, you know I'm an e-type so I'm I'm kind of externally extrinsically motivated so so relationships but health as well because having lost kind of like two years of my life you know literally like in bed not leaving the house almost for two years you realize that you can have all the money in the world you can have all the friends and the family and and, and everything else in the world but 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 you know that time um you know, it's difficult to get back if, if you can't, if you can't enjoy it, if you, you know, I had chronic fatigue and it was very challenging. Now I could leave the house for 10 minutes, be exhausted. And that's no quality of life. So you can have everything else around you, but if you've not got your health, then, then what is the point? So um, I'm very health conscious. That's not to say I don't enjoy a drink or two frequently, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, but I'm, I, I'm big into kind of, 
looking after that gym supplements understanding my health and 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 tweaking what's right for me and it's a very individual thing you know we're seeing that a lot with vaccines and stuff at the moment it's a really individual thing and a very individual choice um so but yeah so but health is is definitely a major component i would say i love that and i'm in complete agreement something that um maybe it's at the start I'm you know getting into business when I was like 19 I like sacrificed my health just for money because all I done was money 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 work 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 yeah. seven days 12 hour days seven days a week like and I did sacrifice and that that, that affected relationships it affected health yeah. yeah and then with time I kind of just realized like if you had all the money in the world and you're in hospital, you would trade everything that you have just to get out of the hospital, wouldn't you? And, and that's it. And even, even on like much less serious examples, if you've, if you've had COVID, like I, I didn't get it that bad, but like my partner got it really bad. And even if you've had like a flu and you know, when you're in bed and you just hate in your life because you feel so bad, like at that point in time, you're not thinking about property deals. You're not thinking about how can I make the next X? all you want to do is get better isn't it yeah and that that's proof that like doesn't matter how much money you've got if you've got no health it's irrelevant it doesn't matter does it no exactly and i caution i I try and keep an eye on that for a lot of the developers and people that i work with like because it's happened to me and actually it's happened more than once because i'm just kind of that type so i really have to manage myself with this but i can see people heading to burnout before Mm. they recognize that they are and i'm like and i'm kind of actively one that I'm encouraging people to go on holiday take some time mm-hmm. off take a step back like things can wait you know you you can pause things that there's yeah there's nothing 100%. more important than health and, and, and I did it exactly the same way by just working ridiculously and having a very unbalanced life hence mm-hmm. now why I strive and geez I'm, I'm not very good at it. it's a constant battle but but trying mm-hmm. to get that that balance much more you know much better yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's you're spot on. I actually had a conversation just yesterday with one of my sales team, and I said, I personally think if you if you worked a 48 week year instead of a 52 week year, and you had four weeks off, I think you'll be more productive by doing that. Because me personally, anyway, the week before holiday, I used to be in holiday mode and do nothing, but now I do like two weeks work in the week before. Yeah. And then yeah. the week you get back, you're so refreshed and ready to go and full of energy. I do another two weeks work then. So I'm actually yeah. gaining four weeks. We have yeah. four weeks off. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you spot on on that. I, I completely agree. Helen, thank you so, so much. I love the episode. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, if anyone wants to send you a deal, if anyone wants to just follow your journey, your story, what you're doing, what's the best ways for people to, to reach out and, and follow what you do? Uh, so I've got a website, HelenChorley.com. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, Helen Chorley, and um, I love a bit of Insta as well. So Helen Chorley Investor on there, <laughs> give me a follow. Great, excellent. Helen, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, whatever you're getting up to. Thanks, Terry. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Helen.